You are listening to MCC Votes and Seats, the podcast series of the Center for Political Science of Matthias Corvinus Collegium. We provide election insights with experts and politicians. Good afternoon, Mr. Bode. Good afternoon. Thank you to be our guest, Thierry Bode, the founder and leader of the Forum for Democracy, member of the House of Representatives since uh, 2017. He graduated as Doctor of Philosophy with a thesis on uh, national identity and uh, European identity. So we will uh, talk about the context of the Dutch election and analyze the current situation. Thank you for having me. So the first uh, topic, Dutch voters elected a new parliament. In the media, your party, the Forum for Democracy, appeared as a winner of the election because your party received eight seats, up six from the last election. Uh, how do you estimate your party's achievement during the campaign and the election results? Yes, yeah, so, so um, in the Netherlands, we've got a system of uh, proportional representation, which means that uh, lots of uh, smaller and larger parties exist. It's a very uh, diverse uh, landscape in our parliament. We've got lots of parties, I think uh, many more than in many other countries in, in Europe. Uh, my party, Forum for Democracy, which I founded in 2016, so only five years ago, six years ago, uh, received a 300% increase at the, at the last elections. We're also the largest uh, party in terms of members, uh, by far, actually. Um, so I think that's a sign, that's a very significant sign of support for what we're trying to do. Our platform runs on a, on a nationalistic agenda. We are opposed to the European Union, European unification. We're uh, very skeptical about mass immigration. Uh, we defend national identities, uh, traditional architecture, uh, we're opposed to uh, the uh, climate transition measures with all the windmills and the solar panels and all the subsidies for these green energy uh, things. And also we campaigned very heavily on lifting the restrictions imposed in the name of coronavirus. So in that sense, I think our program was most comparable, best comparable to uh, what is what the governor DeSantis is doing in Florida. We are in favor of lifting of the measures and return of, of liberty and freedom. How do you define Forum for Democracy? Is it a party, a political movement or a political community of intellectuals and other people? How could you define your party? I like to think of Forum for Democracy as more than just a traditional political party. Uh, from the very beginning, and we, we grew out of a think tank, basically, a community of, of, of intellectuals, of opinion makers, columnists, and so on, activists. Uh, and I, I try to maintain that spirit. So, of course, we're very busy in, in Parliament, but also in other representative institutions like the Senate, like the provincial estates, like some municipalities. But we're much more than, than just that. We try to connect our members. We try to be a movement for change or throughout society. And you mentioned that uh, several members left your party. And in the last November, you were offered to resign as the leader of the party. But the members stand on you. 
How could you rebuild your party? Well, basically, uh, what happened in November is I, I suspect that's what happens with all of the truly innovative movements of our time. I think it happened to Donald Trump. I think it happened in, in Germany, in France, uh, which is that the more, let's say, establishment-focused forces within the party at some point or perhaps continually try to moderate the positions of really progressive or, or, or innovative movements. And this is what happened with, with Forum for Democracy in November. There were a group of people who had risen to some prominence in the public. They, they wanted to soften our positions on, for example, the EU. They said we shouldn't argue for an exit anymore. We should, you know, a, a proper leaving of the Netherlands from the EU. We should, we should simply argue for less EU. And they said we shouldn't argue uh, against the corona measures. We should simply state that they are inconsistent and at some points should be changed a little bit, but much more moderate in, in, in many respects. Also, when it came to climate change, they said, let's accept the basic premise that we need to do something about emission, but let's just have a little bit of nuclear energy. And you know, so all of those things. And um, at some point, I felt that uh, the opposition to my line, which is a much more radical line, much more fundamental line, and I, which I believe is the only way properly to make an ideological argument. You can only make an ideological argument if you are fundamental about it and not, not nuanced about it. That's, that doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. But I, I felt at some point that these moderate forces were so strong and so fundamental in their opposition to me. That I that I stepped down and I said, okay, let's let's have a vote. You know, a very very traditional way of solving things in a democracy. Let's just get the members all out and and let them talk, let them say what I prefer. And seventy five percent of them voted for for me for my line. So I um, I took back control of the party. I created a new uh, a new list for the elections, and we did very well. And how could you reach the voters during the? pandemic which were the most important platforms i just um organized demonstrations because there is a constitutional right to organize demonstrations and i presented my political gatherings as demonstrations as manifestations so we just toured the country we had we bought an american truck we called it a transformer it's a it's a transforming truck which you know it's, it's, it's a proper truck but if you press a button, it deploys into a, a podium. And we had a, a full cinema screen on top of it with huge uh, music uh, speakers. And, uh, and we just went about every single village of the country for two months, which was amazing. It was one of the most inspiring things I've ever done in my life. So we, we actually went from village to village and we had not hundreds, but thousands of people coming to the, the, the market squares of these old villages and becoming really engaged with our message. Uh, it was a tremendous moment of coming together as a, as a nation. The Dutch right transformed on um, the 17th of uh, March. The PVV lost seats. Your party received eight seats up six, as we uh, mentioned uh, from the previous election. 
two new actors also appeared. One party which split from uh, the Forum for Democracy and uh, the Farmer Citizen Movement, which grew up uh, from the agrarian protests in uh, 2019, also gained one seat. How do you see the political landscape on the right? Well, it's um, clear that in the Netherlands now we we've got quite a few parties on the right, so to speak. You know, in a way, this this might be a very good thing for the right because the left has always had this. There have always been you know, socialists, communists, uh, 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 social democrats, uh, green parties. Uh, you know, we've always had the, the left-wing liberals, the liberal democrats and so on. We've always, in, not just in the Netherlands, but in every Western country, we've always seen a great variety on the left. But on the right, on the contrary, uh, it's always been uh, pretty marginal. It's been the normal pattern that there was one or perhaps two right-wing or conservative parties, but not five or, or six like we've had, we've got now in the Netherlands. So it may be a sort of emancipation. You know, maybe we're we're get we're finally getting to parity. Maybe we're finally getting to a sort of equality between the left and the right. And um, many of such parties grew, in a way, grew out of Forum for Democracy, even though we're still the largest, the mothership, as it were, of, of those parties. But, but they grew out of us. And so I also, I kind of like to think of us as an incubator of, of political change. We have nurtured some of the people that perhaps didn't really fit in with us. And now they set up their own thing and I wish them the best. And, you know, I, of course, uh, there's always this, this little bit of, irritation or infighting in politics it's it's unavoidable but i don't consider them the main enemy or the the main target of my political activities the the, the our opponent is the bureaucratic class in the european union and the the climate change mafia and the lobby groups arguing for immigration and so on so let's fight them together and let's see if we can strengthen each other And the uh, Christian Democratic parties were very strong in the past, in the Dutch political yes. uh, history. How do you see their positions and uh, their uh, political strategy? Well, I think the, um, the, the Christian Democratic Party is not very different from the Liberal Party. And I think the Liberal Party, the, the, the governing party, is not very different from the Social Democrats. And in my view, this is all just one big soup of mainstream parties, um, rather like uh, in France, the um, Républicaine and the Parti Socialiste, in my view, are almost the same. And like in Germany, the uh, Christian Democratic Party is almost indistinguishable from other mainstream parties. It's just, this is the the problem that we see in all Western countries, it's even in the US. I think if you if you if you leave Trump aside, you know, Donald Trump is, is a different category, but from Bill Clinton or Bush Sr. even to Bill Clinton to Bush Jr. to Obama, I don't see a great change in policy. I think there's this this is the, the middle of the road, sort of mainstream, where sometimes you get a little bit more to the right or a little bit more to the left. But on the whole, They support the same policies. They have the same sort of vision of where we should be heading with the world. And, and this is also true for the, the Christian Democrats in the Netherlands. It's just, and they've lost a bit of seats because they haven't got really strong leadership at the moment, but 
then the next elections they might win again. It's just um, it's it's always a bit of the same. What I predict will happen now with our new government, because we're we're coalition countries, so we're going to have some coalition negotiations. And but I think we're just going to get a, a super middle of the road middle government, which shows to the greater audience that really there is not a lot of relevant distinction between all these parties. And if they really want something else, they're going to have to go for one of our parties. And I think our party is the most innovative one of all. And another new party appeared outside of the right, the Volt, uh, which defined itself as a transnational party. Is it a left-wing or a liberal party? Could we define this party according to classical political ideologies at all? Or um, what testified of the success of this party about the Dutch society? How do you see this situation? Yes, well, first of all, I, I consider liberalism as a left-wing movement. So in my view, liberalism and socialism are all sub-branches of the left. Yeah, they the, the Volt party, which is a protégé party of uh, George Soros, as I, I'm sure you know, um, they they what they simply do is push the premises the the of liberalism to their ultimate conclusions and and liberalism of course as you know is is the political philosophy that argues that every society is made up of individuals which are in principle interchangeable so there's no there's no role in in liberalist philosophy for national identities really nationhood uh religious bond uh, traditional uh forms of life traditional communities we are individuals and we are as such uh rational enough to conclude some kind of universalist social contract that's the basic idea of liberalism and therefore in the philosophy of liberalism there's no real point in defending national sovereignty or nation states or limiting immigration as long as we manage it correctly and so on. so they, they what they simply say is yeah we are going towards one humanity a world state and we need to move that forward i think from the liberal perspective that's simply a logical conclusion so i kind of like them because they they are at least they're honest about their philosophy and i, I i'm always much more sympathetic to adversaries who actually say what they want so you can have a proper debate and you can say look i i am a nationalist okay i'm an internationalist you know that's clear <laughs> and and all of the you know i you know it's end end that's what they're saying it's it's not or or but it's end end all the middle the, the mainstream parties we want and the european union and the nation state we want both immigration and also defending national identity all these incompatibilities that these mainstream political leaders like to defend because it sort of sounds good for the for the TV quotes or something. But I prefer uh, people like Volt, actually, because you can have a proper debate with them. You started the topic uh, of liberalism. How do you see uh, what is the secret of uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte? He won uh, the fourth election in Rome. How do you see why he is so successful in the Netherlands? Or can we say that he is uh, quite successful or um, he has a relative comfortable position? Well, what I'm going to say might surprise you, but I think that um, his boringness and and his, his lack of personality and, and personal charisma 
might be the secret of his success because once you are there at that position, you know, the prime minister, blah, 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 you have a, you have a, a great staff, you have a, a car with a driver and you have uh, your international conferences and you have all the journalists uh, approaching you as, as if you're a really important guy with great ideas all the time, then all you have to do basically is just sit still and do nothing. And then people will, will, will say, wow, he's been the prime minister already for five years. Uh, yeah, it must be great. He must be, he must be wonderful. So I think one of the, his successes is the fact that he's, he's just been there for some time and he doesn't really do anything that stands out. He doesn't launch audacious propositions. He doesn't really have an agenda other than staying in power. And um, disappointingly enough, that, might, that can be very successful in democracies. And do you think that a new alternative could emerge and create a challenge against the contemporary dominance of the European People's Party? Or these well, um, questions divide the European right and they could not uh, create so successful cooperation? Well, I don't know. I think it depends to a significant extent on our vision towards Russia. And I think it depends on our vision towards regime change in the Middle East. Whether or not we can agree on that will define our possibilities to form an alliance. In addition, I, I also think that as much as I feel European and I'm in favor of a European uh, spirit and European cooperation, I genuinely believe that the only European position that parties can properly take is leaving the EU. I think the European Union is an anti-European institution and we should not try to moderate it, but we should leave it. It must be demolished. We have to get rid of it. We have to get our own currencies back. We have to defend our own borders again. We have to get rid of all the bureaucrats in Brussels and in Strasbourg and, and in Frankfurt. And I think every uh, moderation of that position, every attempt at nuancing it, Uh, will lead in, in a slippery slope to uh, to becoming en encapsulated by the institution and, and a corruption of your of your movement. That's why I think I'm. We should remain very firm on that issue. And I, I would love to see the rise of a pan-European party, which which states, as I have done at several times in the past, pro-European, therefore anti-EU, and. Uh, But I'm not sure if, if there is a lot of support for that in other countries. I just, I honestly don't know. What do you think? Which topic uh, could be a central political question? How do you see which uh, could be the central question in Europe after the pandemic? It could be the climate change, the migration, the future of the European integration, or which uh, political topic could be in a central position? in the European political agenda? Yes. Well, first of all, what I expect is an escalation of the relations with Russia in the coming year. I expect the European Union and NATO and, and some of the other forces to increasingly put pressure on the relationship with Belarus, Russia, perhaps Ukraine, uh, Crimea, uh, that region. And I think that um, the European Union will use that momentum to try to gain more political control over its member states. So that, that's what I expect, is my intuition. I, I have no particular reason to think that I don't have any other information than other people, but that's 
that's my expectation. That's that's what I'm guessing. Okay, thank you for your answers. I hope we will meet personally in the future. Absolutely, and uh, all the best to your government and my praise for the incredible architectural sensitivities of Prime Minister Orban. What he has done to restoring the traditional architecture of Hungary is stunning and it's an example uh, and a source of inspiration for all of us. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye.